You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Today's guest is Chris Newton. Chris spent 14 years in the Air Force, both on active duty and as an individual mobilization augmentee IMA in the reserves. When she got out, she earned her bachelor's in science in microbiology at Bowling Green State University. She has worked in food safety since until recently when she took a sales position that allows her to be her son's high school hockey team manager. Welcome, Chris. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm just going to get right into it and ask you, why did you decide to join the military? Well, it was actually a surprise to everyone, including me, uh, but basically it came down to money for college, in short. When you joined the Air Force, did you do it through enlisting or did you go the officer route? I uh, enlisted. I enlisted, it was March of my senior year of high school because I have a twin sister and a brother who's um, my stepbrother who's six months older. And my parents had talked about putting all three of us through college at once. And I thought, there's no way. And so I looked into, you know, maybe just taking a year off and working and earning money and then going to college. And then one day, I think it was January of my senior year. So way back in 1994, uh, the Air Force recruiter called me and I told him I would look into it, but or that I was interested, but I had to take the ASVAB test over because back then, my high school required all juniors uh, to take the ASVAB. Well, here I, I'm now a senior, halfway through my senior year of high school. I've had a lot more classes. And honestly, when I did take the ASVAB, I didn't care because I had no plans to go in the military. Right. <laughs> so um, I did take the ASVAB. I redid it. I got 21 points higher. And so he called me up. He said, great news. You did great, but you have to retake it. And I asked him, I said, well, why do I have to retake it? And he told me because you scored more than 20 points higher than your initial test, they want to make sure you didn't cheat. So <laughs> I told him, I said, no, I'm not retaking that test. It's you know a long test. It takes time out of your schedule. I said, no, I'm not take it, retaking it. He says, okay, I'll see what I can do. So he calls me in a couple of days and told me that uh, I didn't have to retake it. So at that point, I enlisted. <laughs> That's kind of interesting that they have that rule. Well, I don't know if they do now, but yeah, back then they just wanted to make sure I didn't cheat, I guess, so... I guess. But it makes sense that you would have a different score since you were a year older and you actually cared about the results. <laughs> That's exactly it. I remember when we were, it was mandatory, like I said, for us to take it. And the recruiters from all the branches were in the room where we took our test and they were literally walking up and down the aisles watching us. <laughs> and it was, it was intimidating right. a little bit because I didn't want to be in the military and intimidating because it's a test. And and when I took tests, I was always nervous taking tests and things like that. And that it, I knew it, I wasn't trying, so I didn't want to get in trouble for not trying. But just at that point, I had no, absolutely no intention of joining. And then, bam, here I am, you know, many, many years later with a great career behind me. Why did you pick Air Force over the other branches? Because that's who called me first. And then I did, and then I did some research. And my grandfather uh, was in World War II and the Korean War. And he was in the Army Air Corps in World War II. And then in the Korean War, he was in the Air Force Reserves. So I think that was kind of in my mind 
And once I did some research, uh, I really felt like the Air Force was best for me with my score on the ASVAB and with my, my intention of wanting to be in the medical career field. I felt like the Air Force was the best avenue to take. What was your job? Well, I went in um, without a declared profession because had I wait, I wanted to be in the medical career field. Like I said, I was looking at the medical lab, the um, hospital lab. And my recruiter called me. He says, you can get that job, but you have to wait till November. And I told him, I said, if I have to wait that long, I might chicken out. So just get me in as soon as possible. And we'll go from there. He says, great, I can put you in what we call open general. He said, at that point, once you get in, they will put you where they need you in a profession they need you, but they will also use you to the best of your ability with your ASVAB score. I said, fantastic. <laughs> so I get in there and they put me in security police, which is actually the lowest score you can get to get into the Air Force. <laughs> I thought, what did I just do? But I did it for three years and I really, I actually enjoyed it. That's interesting. And then after those three years, what did you switch over to? I retrained into the paralegal career field. I tried again to get into the medical lab, but uh, it, w- it wasn't available to me at that point because I didn't have, I guess you cannot train into the medical, retrain into the medical career field if you're not already in it. You, I guess you can if you're in it and it's you're going to a different aspect of the medical field, but because I was never in it, uh, there was just too much training they would have had to do, uh, I would have had to go through that would have taken up a lot of time that uh, they didn't feel I could invest at that point. So I chose paralegal. I thought, well, that's kind of neat. It's sort of in the law as well, since I know that a little bit. And a friend of mine reached out to me, or I met her at my old base where I was a cop. And we started talking and she told me she was actually the um, head of the base legal office. So I thought, well, that's interesting. And she actually helped guide me retraining into the career field. And I enjoyed being a paralegal immensely. So you liked being security forces, but then you made the career switch and you liked being a paralegal. Yes, I was. it was kind of a forced uh, career switch, um, a retrain. It was at three years when you're in the Air Force, you can retrain, but I was sick. And uh, my looking back on it, knowing what I know, I probably should have done a medical career retrain. But it just so happened the timing of my career at that point was such I could do. I think it's called the careers retrain. And they just had me do it that way okay. because I was sick. Um, I couldn't carry my weapon anymore due to some medication that makes you drowsy. You're not allowed to carry a weapon. And it was indefinite. So they said, well, if you can't carry a gun, how are you going to be a cop? And I had the same question. So um, that's why I still wanted to stay in the law aspect since I couldn't get into the lab. So, yeah, I went through the paralegal route. Okay, that's interesting. Tell me anything um, from your experience that you want to talk about. You could do a brief overview or just talk about the high points. Well, the high points, I guess the highest point was meeting the amazing people I met throughout my career. Uh, I've made some really close friends. Uh, We still keep in touch. And I met my now ex, but I met my husband in the military and I had a son. Uh, So, I mean, that's the best decisions I've made. Um, I was able to get my degree because I got the GI Bill. Uh, Just I never went overseas, unfortunately. But the bases I uh, I was stationed at were just phenomenal. So, Really, more of the <laughs> more of the social aspect and the traveling part were my favorite parts of being in the military. Things that I would have never gotten to explore or experience had I just gone to college and stayed in my home state. Did you face any struggles while serving in the military? The one, you know, being away from family is always hard, especially around this time of the year during the holidays. I, as a female in the 
police career field. That was a little difficult, whereas I, where I was stationed, it was a small unit. We only had 80 people in the unit, and I was one of five females. Our captain that um, did not think women should be in the career field. So that was very challenging. I got, um, some, I got in trouble once for sharing a joke over email when it came from one of my fellow police officers who was male, and he didn't get in trouble at all. So there were certain things like that. I got picked on a little bit by this guy. But um, you forwarded an email from another security forces member. And yes. He got and in trouble and he didn't. Got a, yep. I got a write up from this captain and he didn't even touch the, the male police officer who used the same means, you know, a military computer and emailed it to me. He didn't get in trouble at all. I don't even think he got talked to about it. But they gave me a letter of reprimand for it, this captain. So uh, I was glad to see him go when he left the base. <laughs> Gonna lie. But, so that was that was one of my challenges. Being sick was hard in that career field because when you're not working, someone else has to work for you. And so there's, you know, it's just hard for people to understand uh, sometimes when they have to work extra because you're sick, things like that. But overall, it was a pretty good, pretty good run. Um, transitioning always was a little, sometimes when you get to a new base that you either blend real well or it takes a minute. And I was able to blend fairly seamlessly to the bases when I moved. But yeah, so, and there were some challenges with, you know, being a female, but nothing too, too much. Not like the being written up for sending a joke. It was just, you know, you're a female in a man's world. Right. That's like a common struggle. I think that women face, it's not like some things are a lot worse that some females have to deal with but overall just being a female in a man's world is difficult sure and it's not just isolated to the military of course that's true so how long did you stay active duty i was active duty for six years okay and then you made the switch to do reserves and you were an ima yes and why did you decide to make that switch from active duty to reserves because I was ready to get my degree. Okay. And being a microbiologist, there was a lot of daytime classes, such as labs, I had to attend. And I couldn't do that while I was uh, doing my active duty role. So my goal when I went in was to get my degree. So I needed to get out and use my GI Bill in order to get my degree for certain classes. And, uh, but I still wanted to stay in. <laughs> and that's why I chose to do the IMA role, which was, it's very unique in that I can go in during the week with the active duty members instead of doing weekends like a traditional reservist. Can you tell us what exactly an IMA does and how it's different from the reserves? Yeah, definitely. Well, a traditional reservist goes in, I believe it's one weekend a month and then two weeks a year. And usually people tend to do that during the summertime. But the IMA program, and I don't know if it's for every career field in the Air Force, but it is definitely for the legal career field. So I would go in during active duty hours. So Monday through Friday, 7.30 to 4.30. And I would pull my, the same, it's the same amount of time as being a traditional reservist, but you can lump it all together. So if I wanted to, I could work a month, Monday through Friday, and I would be able to get a good year that that way, meaning I did all my time that was required. It was great too, because when I, my first year of being an IMA, I was still stationed at the base I had pulled my active duty at because I was, like I said, I had been married at that point and my husband at the time was also active duty military. So yeah, for the last year, I was an IMA there at that base and I loved it because I did some projects that 
I had never done while I was on active duty because at that point I was an extra body for the office. I, I wasn't assigned to them. So everyone they had assigned to them had their role where I came in. I was just this extra body. So they, it was really great. I got some really neat, um, neat things I got to do because of it. That's really sounds like a great program that gives you yes. the flexibility to stay in the military and continue to serve, but then do go to school or do something else. Yeah. It- Great. I could work it around my um, school schedule. And when the holidays came, if I need a little extra money, I could go work like on my spring break or Christmas break. Um, It was wonderful. And then you, so you did 14 years total. So after eight years (laughs) in reserves, right? Yeah, I was, I was eight years in the reserves. Yes. Why did you decide to transition out of the military all the way? Uh, Because I had just gone through a divorce and I was a single parent and I just wanted to uh, finish up my bachelor's and spend time with my son knowing he was young. He was about four at the time. And I was just ready to just get that degree. Uh, it was like a long time coming. And I look back, sometimes I regret it a little bit because I would I would have had almost 25 years under my belt by now if I would have stayed in. But, you know, it was the best decision for me at that point. I got my degree and then I got to work on my career outside of the military. I've talked to a lot of women who feel like whatever circumstance they were in, it led them to transition out of the military, but there's always a little bit of regret because I don't, for me, I didn't realize what I was giving up or leaving behind as I left the military. Did you feel that way or was it just? I, I had a very unique perspective because I went from active duty to reservist and a spouse to uh, when we moved from California. We went to DC and that was great, but I was, I was a reservist still. And then we moved to Dayton at Wright Pat. And that was a very different experience. The reserve unit wasn't as supportive as I had noticed before I, I had experienced. And then being a spouse was different, difficult. It was, you're treated differently than when you're on active duty. So it was interesting to see the different ways military members treated you depending on what capacity you were. But I was just, do I regret it? Yes and no. I, I miss the uh, the camaraderie most. I really do. Uh, I miss the fact that I could be retired by now, or not not even re- yeah retired by now. I don't I don't miss being active duty if that makes sense. I miss the IMA program where I had a little bit more freedom. But at the same time, I do miss the active duty. It, it's just one of those things where now that I have my freedom and I'm not owned twenty four seven, I don't miss that part at all. I really don't. Uniforms wearing uniforms to work was great. You never had to figure out what you were going to wear to work. <laughs> True. I like that you talked about how being a military spouse is different than being active duty and like being a reservist. Did you have any like situations where you felt kind of some strain being both a spouse and a veteran? There was strain. Yes. When we made the transition, when my ex-husband and I made the transition to Wright Pat, we were having some issues with housing. And the woman, she was a civilian. She did not know I was a veteran. And she treated me horribly. Like I didn't know what I was talking about. Like I was just a bump on a log. I needed to just sit there and be quiet. And she gave me attitude and I asked questions. And I remember I looked at my husband at the time and I said, this is what we were told, what we were promised, whatever it was, the conversation was. And I answered her question and then she looked, she looked basic. She put her hand up. You know, when people put your hands up to stop you from talking, she Mm -hmm. disrespected me. She put her hand up at me. She looked at my ex. She asked him the same exact question and he regurgitated my answer. And she was exactly, she was fine with it. But he said exactly what I had said. And she was okay with him saying it. And that was 
what the one and only experience I had where as a spouse you were treated poorly. Yeah, and I think overall military spouses are treated well in most circumstances, but then you have yeah. situations like that where it's like you're not even a real person and you're like Yeah, it's so bizarre. And when I was in the security police career field, there were some military spouses that uh liked to use their husband's right to try and get favor. And that bothered me too as an active duty member that a spouse who's not serving, who didn't sign their name on the dotted line, was trying to use it in their favor. And I never did that when I was a spouse, maybe because I knew what it was like to deal with someone like that. So it was just, you know, it's neat that I I feel like it's interesting that I've had all those different aspects of the military where some, someone may just have been active duty or someone may have only always been a spouse. Yeah, I feel that way too. Because my husband's yes. in the Air Force right now. Oh, okay. So. Okay. Now, were you, you were active, right? Yeah, I was in for six years. Yeah, yeah, great. It's interesting to now be a military spouse. Yes. And just the way that sometimes I'm treated and I'm like, is this normal? It's just kind of different. And I've had a few, like issues trying to get like my ID card renewed last spring it was I left in tears because my husband was treating me like I was an incompetent person and I was like yeah it was just really a bad situation and I had to get a supervisor come and help me um, and I still wasn't able to get help but at least when I got the supervisor in I was explained and treated with respect and it was just an eye-opening experience to see like how some of the military spouses are treated and I had been in the Air Force so I knew when he tried to tell me his supervisor's email was the workflow email I knew that wasn't right and so it made me even more mad because I knew like kind of the back end and so I was Mm. able to actually get his supervisor's email instead of having to go home with something that was not even the right piece of paper yeah Um, Wow. Now, did you ever tell that person you were dealing with that? I got his boss's email and I emailed her and she apologized, um, but I don't know if this was done. I see. Did you tell that one person that you were, you had been prior active, prior military? I think it might have come up eventually, but I know it wasn't like, I didn't come in and say, I've been in the military. I think it was when he tried to tell me that it was the workflow. Like, he's like, that's Uh, like, I was in the Air Force. I know what that is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's sad that it has to come down to that, doesn't it? That you have to remind them that, look, I was in the military before, too. I know a little bit about what you're talking. Yeah, so. <laughs> I go back to the spouses who've never had the military experience, and they get the runaround. Exactly, yes. What someone does in the legal office or in security forces. So when I was in security forces, I was very fortunate, and I got stationed at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. It was an amazing assignment, not just because of where I was stationed, but they did not have a security requirement. They just had law enforcement. And back then, uh, the security police were divided. You had your security or your law enforcement. And law enforcement were the people that uh, sat on the gate or you know rode around the patrol cars writing speeding tickets and um, doing things like that. So that's what I was doing. And I know since then, they've put them back together where security can do police jobs and police do security. And then they, they separated it again. And so, but back then it was, you had security and 
and law enforcement. And we didn't have a flight line other than the little uh, training planes for the cadets. So we didn't really have to worry about anything like that. So as the security police, I sat on the gate, which meant I just waved in the cars because it was unique where the Air Force Academy is an open or was an open base before 9-11 because it's a tourist attraction. You know, yet we'd wear our blues, we would um, tuck our blue pants into our, or we would blouse, I guess, blouse our blues pants over patent leather boots with white laces. And we had a white ascot. I mean, it was very regal looking because we were the first person that some of the tourists were seeing, well, all tourists were seeing before they got to the base. Um, since then, obviously, it's changed quite a bit because it's since 9-11. Um, and I think the gates have turned to civilians too. But but back then, it was uh, military police. So I worked the gate and then I did patrol and wrote speeding tickets. We had, we had a couple incidents on the base. We had a civilian come on once. He had stolen a car from a 7-Eleven down the road and we found him on base. So we were able to arrest him. I had a couple DUIs a couple drug busts, um, all civilians. And then there was a murder-suicide on the base that we had to handle. It was an Army active duty member, soldier, uh, was having spousal issues with his wife who worked in our MWR uh, program. And he came on base and unfortunately he shot her and then killed himself. So that was rough. We had a suicide. We And this is just in three years, three plane crashes where we lost um, the cadet and the instructor in the planes. So we had to go secure those sites. So that was, um, you know, what we did as police on the Air Force Academy. And then when I uh, retrained into uh, be a paralegal. I was stationed at Beale Air Force Base, which is, it was great. It was, it was out in the middle of nowhere, California, and it was very agricultural. It reminded me of home, which is Ohio. And uh, the people told me it was the people who've been stationed there and then overseas had told me it was much like an overseas base because it was out away from so much that the people on the base really came together and um, made good friends. And that was so true. So as a paralegal, uh, they had two aspects of the three aspects of the paralegal field. We did Claims, which meant, uh, you know, you have all these people transitioning from base to base and they're moving their households and things in their households would get damaged. They would come to the claims office in the base legal office and we would help them recover some money to make up for the damages that they um, had to suffer for their move. And that was neat to socialize and get to know people. And then you'd see them around the base after you did their claim. And it was just like you made friends pretty easily that way. It was neat. And um, it was kind of like an insur- what I imagine an insurance, insurance adjuster does these days. But uh, then the other aspects of the legal field is court marshals. Um, I never sat in a court martial. I was never assigned to one, but we, we don't have too many at Beale either. I think we had three the whole five years I was there. But then there was non-judicial punishment. And that was one of my favorite, that was my favorite thing to work because I worked with the first sergeants and the commanders when one of their troops would get in trouble, they would ask us, what do we do? Uh, What are other squadrons doing? if their members do the same thing. And we were able to get out the UCMJ, go over what constitutes you know, an Article 15 punishment, what constitutes a court-martial action, things like that. And uh, that was very rewarding to me to work with the first sergeants and commanders. And I did that for about two years. But yeah, that was definitely my favorite part of being a paralegal. I actually sat on at least three court-martials. Wow. Yeah, and it was interesting to see that if even though we didn't have that many courts, the enlisted group could pick a jury of their peers or they could pick officers. And and the two times the enlisted person who was on the court martial or getting court martial picked officers, they 
officers went very lenient on them, very lenient. But when they picked, when the one guy picked um, his peers as in, uh, enlisted, they were so hard on him that it almost seemed unfair. Yeah, it was very that was what we learned about that officers are very lenient, I think, because they don't understand i don't it's just a different culture and probably yeah. weird. like they're kids like that, like know. they don't know any better or they're uneducated or they're this or they're that yes that well, is exactly. i was i was a second lieutenant for the first two and a captain for the third one so i was also really young and so mm-hmm. i think you have like senior master sergeants so you know they're all going to be older instead of having the mix but yeah that was one of the things i learned after because we had a hard time giving out the sentence that we gave even though it was very lenient compared to what we could have given yeah and we found out someone was like you know they picked the officers because they knew that they're easier yep. yeah that's for sure And then, yeah, it's interesting. The higher in rank, too, as an enlisted member, the harder it is to find a jury of peers. Oh, yeah. And the harder those peers are on you because, you know, a higher rank you've been in for a very long time, you know the rules, you know the culture. (laughs) Yeah. And it was interesting because when I was a captain, I had been on two court martials before and all the officers were senior to me, but they hadn't been on one. And like trying to convince them like what what we should do was really difficult because I was the mean one that time because I was like no you have to be hard on him and they were just like you're you're really mean and it was really funny because I was the youngest but I was the hardest and was like we need to do this this and this and they were just like no we can't do that so oh, yeah and then when it came down to punishment for officers they there were a couple that we had to deal with never the idea of court-martialing an officer was rare because it's so harsh to an officer. <laughs> to this day, I don't understand that. It's the rules are the rules. The Air Force doesn't change. <laughs> yeah. So it just it baffled me. But it is what it is. So now if I were to do it again, sometimes I think I would go through ROTC. Then I'd have my degree right away and become an officer and do it that route. But then I look back and I would have never had any of the experiences. I had. I would have never met my ex-husband and had my son. So, you know, it's just, so I'm actually pushing my son to go ROTC right now. Yeah, it's a great program. That's the program I went through. Oh, wonderful. So my last question is, what would you tell girls considering joining the military? Do it. I would say do it because it was above everything. The experiences of travel and the friends you make are phenomenal, boys and girls and men and women. The thing that I also about the military is they don't see color. You have friends from all different cultures, something that I don't think you might get going to college in this. I would have never had those experiences and met those different people if I would have stayed in Ohio and gotten to college. Just it would not have happened. So and then you get the the training you get, but maybe years down the road in the civilian sector when you join a career. Like uh, an attorney, for instance, in the Air Force, in six months, they're a captain. They don't even start out as a butter bar or a first lieutenant. They go straight, I mean, a second lieutenant, they go straight to first lieutenant because of their degree. Same with doctors, you know, they start out, I think, as maybe even a captain if they're in specialties. So I, I just say experience it, go for it, do it. But you have to have tough skin too. You have to have tough skin. You have to understand that even in this day and age, there are some people that don't think women should be in the military, whether it's a civilian in the civilian sector or the military. But um, gosh, do it. That's great advice. And I agree. I think that the military gives you so many amazing opportunities and you get to see the world from a 
different point of view that you would never get to see if you weren't in the military. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast and share your story. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for the invitation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmantomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.